Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from a special guest speaker. I'm going to start out with um, start out with uh, superpowers, right? Get everybody's interest going real quick, right? Everybody's kind of got their favorite superhero or at least a superpower, right? This would be awesome if I could do this. If I could fly, if I could walk through walls, disappear, be indestructible, whatever the case may be. Think back to the year 2000. Mel Gibson did a movie where he had one of the coolest superpowers of all time. I see some people thinking, I'm like, Mel Gibson, superhero? I don't remember that one. Yeah, the movie was called What Women Want. And his superpower was, if you haven't seen it, you're not familiar with it, his superpower was he got zapped about a third of the way through the movie and suddenly he could hear what women were thinking about him. Wouldn't that be an awesome superpower, though? I mean, think about it. Guys, right? You could finally hear what your wife actually thought about you. You wouldn't know what your friends were thinking about you. Women, you know what your husbands really think. I mean, I know you already know anyway, but... But you would know what your boss actually wanted, right? What? What if... What if we knew what God really wanted? What if we knew? And I, and I think if I asked everybody in here and, and had you write it down and submit it up front, I'd probably get a different answer for each one of you. Is God that different? No, I mean, I think some of that might be the unique relationship that we have with him, but I think some of it would be, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in the Bible, and it's important that we sift through and get down to the core message, right? Because if you don't have the core message, if it's not anchored in the right place, that could be, that could be big trouble, right? So I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to do the hard stuff up front, and I'm not joking, it's hard. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Everybody's go-to passage, right? This is, this is what you hear the guys on the corner preaching? No, this is hard language. Not worthy? Sounds like a 90s movie, right? But I, this, is, this is serious stuff. When Jesus says, you're not worthy of me if you don't put me first, we may, we may want to pay attention, right? So let's talk about it. The first thing that I want to talk about is that first line, I don't suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Wait a minute. Isn't Jesus the Messiah? Isn't the Messiah, Isaiah 9, 6, the Prince of Peace? You, if you read a little bit further along, you get into 11. Mark preached on this a couple weeks ago. John the Baptist doubts. I think that this flow here is, you know, it's like, John's not even sure. How can John the Baptist not be sure? It was, you know, this is how the story flows here. I think Matthew was creating a narrative. This is serious stuff, guys. 
when we're talking about peace, you need to understand there's two different things going on here, right? Isaiah 9-6 is God talking to Isaiah, and he's talking about the Messiah, but he's talking about it from his perspective, from God's perspective. So everything that Jesus is doing, his perfect life, his willing sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, all of that restores us sinners back to God. That's this plane here, guys. That's this relationship. And Jesus is all about restoring this relationship and creating peace. So when God calls Jesus the Prince of Peace as the title for the Messiah, it's there all day long. But you can see in the context here, Jesus isn't talking about that. Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. And there is a cost at this level in our relationships with each other. Do you see that? What's more, right, this is a cultural reference here. A man and his father, a daughter and a mother, a, mother, a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. Right? In the Jewish culture, when you were of age to get married as a man, you would go out, you'd find the woman that you want to marry, you would, make, you would ask her to marry you, and then if she accepted, you would be betrothed, not married. The guy would leave and go back home to his father's house, and he would build a room or rooms for his future family. Then when he was done, he would go back and they would get married, and then they would move in together, right? It's kind of a cultural cliche for us, right, the 30-something living at home. It was expected in the Jewish culture. Right? So Jesus is saying now, what he's doing, he's setting priorities. Right? He's saying that there's a cost. If you depend on your parents, on your spouse, on your mother-in-law more than me, right? these essential relationships in the Jewish culture, if you depend on somebody else more than me, you're not worthy of me. That's hard. Right? Pastor Chris calls it raising the bar. Right? It's you know, a little bit over our heads now doesn't get easier as you keep going either. Um, there's a quote I want to get uh, that I think kind of captures it. The greatest danger to the one in first place comes not from the one in last place, but the one in second. The greatest danger to the best comes not from what is bad, but from what is good. You guys get, get what's being said there? If you're running a race, you're not worried about the guy in last place who, you know, run in the wrong direction or fell down or something. I don't know what he's doing back there, right? But it's the guy in second place who's got, who's got the chance to get in front of you. But maybe it's the priority that's difficult, right? Maybe you're saying, you know, there's a lot of teaching in the Scripture about family and how important it is, and that's true. It's good, but it's not the best, right? You, you don't, let, let me steer you to one Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the model right there, guys. God didn't even hold himself and his own son above a relationship with us, the world. We're sinners. God gave his son for sinners. His son was perfect. He didn't even hold his own family. That's why he can say you're not worthy because he set the bar all the way up there at the top. And if you think this was a light thing, when Jesus was on the cross, he looked up to heaven in all of his suffering, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's all the way, guys. All the way. So the next line now, taking up your cross, this is something, a a line that we're probably a little bit more familiar with. 
right? Taking up your cross is talking about, I don't know, if you learn from rap songs or rock songs or country songs or movies or whatever, right? That line's kind of popular. This is, this is my cross to bear, right? You guys have heard that before, right? It seems to me every time I see that used, it's kind of like a crutch. I don't have to be good at relationships. I don't have to deal with these addictions. I don't have to do something the right way because I was brought up the wrong way. That's just my cross to bear. You can't understand it. Let me tell you that that is not the cross that Jesus is talking about here. All that stuff, all that stuff Jesus paid for on the cross, right? The cross Jesus is talking about is not the results of your bad decisions. It's not the results of your bad relationships or mine. You know, I'm not up here judging. I had to receive this word first. Still working on it. Right? It's also not the result of your generational curses. I can't be in a committed relationship because my, you know, I, I never witnessed one growing up. I can't kick the habit because, you know, I was raised in a home that was that way, or my friends are that way. Now, Christ went to the cross for all that stuff, guys. Those aren't burdens you have to carry. Those are burdens that you lay at the cross, right? His burden, if you keep going past the John the Baptist story, you get to the, my yoke is light, my burden is easy. Right? He's talking about something totally different. So what is the cross that he's talking about? I want to read this uh, Spurgeon quote before I get there. Uh, the Christian who sons the cross is no Christian. Right? They're easy to pick out, right? Because they, they walk around um, claiming the love of God, but their lifestyle shows that they have no love. But a cross-bearer, listen to this part, but the cross-bearer who does not follow Jesus equally misses the mark. So I'm going to talk a little bit about crosses that we bear that are incorrect. Um, let me tell you what the cross is about, though. The cross is about, what, uh, the cross that Jesus is talking about, it is about the suffering and loss we experience in this life because of our relationship with God. Think of Job, right? He, he lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his wife who cursed him and cursed God, he lost his health. He lost all of that because he followed God. It was restored in this life, but that's, that's not always a guarantee, right? This isn't a prosperity gospel message. It's a sacrifice gospel message. I'm not saying you can't have prosperity in your life. I'm not saying that that's not good. That's good, but it's not best. <sighs> Told you it was getting harder. I had a friend of mine put it this way. When did we start believing that God sends us to safe places to do easy things? That's a hard one to walk in. Right? When you start defining your own ministry instead of letting God define it, right? Well, my work schedule says that I can do this, but I can't do that. Well, you know, I just, I need a little, is that me? I need a little bit of time for myself now. I don't have time to help. Or, you know, I've got really important business going on. I want to talk about that stuff. And it's easy to walk away at this point thinking now that the bar is so high, maybe you can't even reach it. 
I can't sacrifice that stuff. I'm not ready to sacrifice that stuff. I'm not good enough to sacrifice that stuff. I'm going to tell you that there's a message in hope because Matthew actually laid the foundation prior to this, prior to getting into this uh, sacrifice passage, and I want you to see it. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, and Pastor Chris uh, didn't even know, I don't think, but this is just a little waypoint in the sermon. I want you to see something that Jesus said. Because if you walk away from this passage, it's easy to think that sacrifice is what it's all about. And we do that in our regular relationships too, right? Because when we talk about relationship with God, it's not like something different, right? We were created for a relationship, both with each other and with God. And it's easy to think that, you know, if I just worked a little bit harder, maybe that relationship would have worked out. If I worked a little bit harder, maybe it wouldn't have failed. You know, if I work a little bit harder with God, maybe then he'll answer that prayer. Are you doing stuff to manipulate God into doing what you want? Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Let me tell you, this is, in my opinion, Matthew's favorite story because it's all about his testimony. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. So Matthew, just for reference, Matthew's a Jew who's a tax collector, right? So tax collectors were Jews who stole money from other Jews and gave it to the Jewish oppressors, the Romans, who also did not like the Jews, He's not a popular guy, right? His support group is other tax collectors who have all sold their relationships, sold their souls for money. That's his support group. And here comes Jesus. Hey, come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. If this is a business model, it's not a good one, right? I mean, what do you think your chances of success are if you pick the guy who said, you know what, I really, I, I really just want to go after money, not people, That's who Jesus chose. Thankfully, he knows what he's doing far more than us. Watch, right? So this is Matthew's Matthew's conversion story. Watch what he says, right? He says something about, he quotes Jesus. This is the most important thing to him, right? While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All of Jesus' ministry is tied up in those verses right there. Everything he came to do. So if he hinges it all on this, uh, this quote from the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that's kind of important. But I'm going to give you a, a bit of testimony here, right? Because my Bible actually has the word sinners in quotes. And as I was reading it, I just had a mental image of all the people that were there. Oh, it's this lifestyle, it's these professions, it's, you know. And, and, and I don't think I'm really alone with that. I think we all have those people that were like, you know what, they're just, I can't reach out to them, I'm too uncomfortable, or, you know, they're really not worthy of salvation because of the lifestyle that they chose or whatever. And I realized... I realized that of all the characters in this story, I was the Pharisee.
Jesus is looking at me, and he's got, you know, over his glasses, and he's pointing. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. My heart, it's still in the wrong spot, guys. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I got areas that I struggle with still. There's people groups that, you know, I'm really not as willing to go out and reach. Jesus came to earth 30 years, plus or minus a couple, I don't really know, public ministry for three years. That's not a lot of dinners. But he spent it eating with tax collectors and sinners. He looks at that Pharisee and he says, if you knew what this means, you'd already be here. I'd be eating dinner with you. So I felt that it was important that I go and learn what this Pharisee hadn't learned. Right? Make sense? Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Great. I don't offer burnt offerings. I'm ahead of the curve. Sometimes when I grill. No. In other words, it was a passage I didn't really relate to. Right? It's out of my cultural reference. Right? I didn't go to school. I'm not super educated, super smart. I'm just a guy with a Bible and a God who loves him. So I went to the message. If you're not familiar with the message translation, it's just the Bible kind of updated terms, you know, words that we've used in the last hundred years. And it read like this. I'm after love that lasts, not more religion. I want you to know God, not go to more prayer meetings. I'm after love that lasts? This is what God is saying that he's after? You know, I think deep down, if you set aside like the immediacy desires or needs, you know, the thing that we all want the most is love that lasts. You're telling me that God, creator of the universe, wants the same thing that I want? Man, that's real. It's tangible, guys. But look what else he says, right? I want love that lasts, not more religion. You know what he's saying? He's saying something that we all know, right? Who, who's been in a relationship that's started going south, and, and, and you can just sense it, right? The words are still there. The motions are still there. But the love's really not there anymore, right? That whole chapter in Hosea is, is about Israel's on-again, off-again relationship with God. And God is saying to them, I want it all the time, guys. I, I want a love that lasts. Stop giving me the lip service. Stop wasting these burnt offerings. You're, if you're here, let me, let me give you a, a more uh, relevant example. If you're here today because it's Sunday morning and this is where you're supposed to be, if you stand up to sing the songs because everybody else is standing up to sing the songs, Right? It, it's not a checklist. There's no checklist in relationships. Relationships are just messy. They just are. There's some trial and error, right? That's how we are as people. We're that way with our, uh, you know, with our significant others, married or not, you know, with our kids even. Relationships are messy, and our relationship with God, it, it, it's going to be a little bit messy. I'm not going to lie to you. But there's no checklist for it. 
I've heard it said before, every knee will bow before Christ. You either do it voluntarily in this life, or you're going to do it mandatorily in the next life. And when you kneel before him in the next life, you go, here's my Christian resume. Look at my fantastic church attendance. Look at my tithing record. Look at all the people that I've helped. God's going to look right past it, right, right straight at you all the way down here. He's not going to look at even what you know up here. He's going to look at what you know down here. He doesn't desire what you can do with your hands. He's not after the actions. He's after your heart. And he says the heart that he wants is the heart of mercy. Right? And what does that look like in action? It looks like love that lasts. Right? That part's kind of easy. But... Um, it looks like um, something that we're going to get to, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. But let me, uh, let me give you the words that, uh, that I put this in, you know, my own words. It's not, about the, it's not the sacrifice in our lives that God is looking for. It's the merciful heart that sacrificially pours out our lives in joyful, willing obedience to him. I'm not trying to throw a bunch of new words in there, mix it up a little bit. Some of you may be familiar with Samuel when he talked with Saul um, and said, you know, to obey is better than sacrifice. This is, there's continuity in the scripture, guys. It, it wasn't like obedience back then and mercy today or in the prophets and then, you know, love later on. It's all the same, right? Just look at uh, John 15, chapter 17. This is my command to you, love each other. Um, or, or you know, the world will know that Jesus is with us because of our love for each other, right? The command, right? There's the obedience piece, and the command is to love each other. And so what does that look like? The parable of the Good Samaritan. I don't know a better example in the Bible except for Christ on the cross. So John, or I'm sorry, yeah, John, Luke, Luke chapter 10. I think I said John like eight times. Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a couple things we could pick up right up front. Number one, he stood up. So there's a crowd of people. This guy had to stand up to be seen, right? So this is a public setting, okay? The public setting means that it was for everybody, not just this guy. Applicable today, just like it was back then. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, that's a fantastic question. An expert in the law is a Pharisee. What would, Jesus says, uh, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Right? Common Jesus uh, response, right? Answering a question with a question, everybody's favorite. So this guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute, I've heard that. Wasn't there an expert in the law who asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was? Nod your heads, yes. And what was Jesus' response? You know, in my mind, it's the same guy. It doesn't actually tell us that it's the same guy, but in my mind, it's the same guy, right? And so I'm, now I'm rooting for this guy, right? He's learning. He's learning, right? He's gone from commands now to how must I, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And, and he's got answers now. He's got the right answers, right? Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He's got to be right around the corner if he's not already there. Verse 29 kind of puts a damper on it, though. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Let me give you some perspective on that, because I really prayed into that one quite a bit, and, and this is what the, uh, the Lord put on my heart. Um, so he wanted to justify himself. He, was, uh, he wanted to earn his own salvation. He wanted to set his own terms. He was publicly seeking to discredit Jesus and thereby credit himself. Maybe he's not doing so good there. I put it one more way. He wanted to enjoy the benefits of a relationship with God without having to deal with all the messiness of a relationship with God. Again, that's true in all of our relationships, guys. If you want to know why your marriage is struggling or why your kids are struggling, you've got to deal with the messiness of it, guys. You can't just go in there and expect the benefits and think it's just going to be like, hey, you know what, I brought in the paycheck, hop to, chop, chop. It doesn't work like that. Let me tell you, you may think, or you may even have a relationship that you think is working like that, but it's not going to work like that with God. And let me tell you, it's not working in any of your other relationships either. So in response, in response, Jesus tells this story that we're all familiar with, right? There's a guy, Jew, he's leaving Jerusalem. He's going down to Jericho, probably a business trip or something, right? And he gets waylaid by robbers. They steal his clothes. They steal his money. They steal his ride. They, you know, steal his identity. I don't know. They steal everything, right? They beat him up. He's halfway dead. He's on the side of the road, and then they take off. And some of you may feel like that in life sometimes, you know, and I think that there's a certain relatability there. But then along comes help, right? The priest shows up walking down the road, right? And the priest represents the pastors. They re- you know, people who professional, professionally serve God, right? Pastors, preachers, teachers, uh, professors, missionaries, evangelists, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to get paid to serve, walks right on past them. I ain't got time for this. I am too important. There's a significant lesson on being too busy in this whole story. Right? This is all about, you know, what I'm doing is more important than, you know, anybody else's problems. It goes right down into here. Right? That priest walks right on by. He doesn't have time. He's too important. Right? Getting into heaven is not about your position, guys. It's not about your authority. Walking with Christ in relationship is not about your title. It's also not about what the Levite does. Right? The Levite is like an Old Testament deacon, and then there's New Testament deacons, right? and they kind of represent those who serve voluntarily. You cannot serve your way into heaven, guys. It's not about your resume. When you stand before God and you show him your resume, he's not going to say, you know what? Two more attendances and you'd have been in, but I'm sorry. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. It is all about relationship. And it is all about walking in that relationship with God. So you get up to the Samaritan now, right? And and I timed it a little bit better so I could talk about the Samaritan, right? So the Samaritan, very similar to Matthew the tax collector, right? The Samaritans were leftovers 
from the Babylonian and Assyrian captivities where they scooped up the majority of the Israelites and took them away, right? But they left some of the people there, you know, for whatever reason. I don't know what the selection criteria was, but they left some of those guys back there, right? And those guys intermarried with the local, you know, the other locals that were there, the ones that God said don't intermarry with, right? And so the, the Jews hated them, kind of like half-blood Jews. They also intermingled their religion, so they had this kind of weird weird way that they worship. This is the God that's coming along now. He sees a man in need on the side of the road and he stops to help him. Gives him his coat. Gives him some medicine. Gives him his time. It's dangerous there, right? I mean, obviously this guy got robbed. Doesn't say he's got a protection, you know, he's packing or something. I don't know. Wherever he was going was not important enough. Right? I'm sure it was important because he was braving a road with robbers, but it was not more important than stopping and helping somebody. I wrote it like this. He overcame the, show, the social stigma. I can't talk to you because of whatever it is. Right Here it was a, um, I guess you would call that a race thing. Samaritan, did you... But he overcame all of that, whatever, whatever that is. He said, that's not more important than human to human. He, overcame, uh, he sacrificed his safety, his comfort, his time, his money, his ride, his clothing, his supplies, his effort, his business. He made himself available. Jesus looks at the Pharisee after, the one who's publicly trying to discredit him. And he says, now who is this man's neighbor? It's so easy, anybody can get it. Instead of the bar being like way up here, he's just saying, be available. Make your stuff available. Make yourself available. That's what the sacrifice is in Matthew 10, guys. It's about being available, putting it on the line, saying this stuff is not more important than you people, including me in that. And so this guy, you know, he's, what other answer is there? The one who showed him mercy. The one whose heart was in the right place. Right? The one who had the right priorities. Um, I wrote it this way. It is from a person's heart that a truly pleasing sacrifice is offered to God, and from the heart that we are truly motivated to sacrifice Another way of thinking about it is when mercy is our spiritual heart, compassion becomes our daily mindset and sacrifice our chief deed. The sacrifice is there, but it pours not out of necessity. It pours out of the heart when your heart is in the right spot. Jesus looks at him in front of everybody, says loud enough for everybody to hear. Go and do likewise. That's all I got. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.